Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. Hi, my name is Michael Ramsden, President of RZIM. We are living in difficult and challenging times, and we've all felt the impact of COVID-19 in one way or another, whether that be through the economic challenges and hardship it's brought, through the physical separation from loved ones, to those who are now wrestling with illness. Our prayers are with you, and we'd like to thank you also for praying for us. In the last few weeks, I've been reflecting on a few famous words in Romans 8, where it says, What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What is amazing to me is the first few words in that sentence, the first two as a matter of fact, refer to the idea of living with constraint or of being hemmed in to be in a narrow place. Two words which seem to sum up so much of the global challenge we see right now. And wherever you are, whether you're with family or whether you're going and facing this challenge alone, please know our prayers and thoughts are with you. We'd also like to thank all of you who have been praying for us, because during this time we have seen a fresh openness to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we would like to thank for all of you who have been standing with us in prayer and in financial support to help us take that message to where it needs to go. We know that so many of us are hurting right now as we deal with the economic challenges, but please know that we are very grateful and feel very blessed to have been given a privilege and trust by you to take a message to those who most need to hear it. Thank you for standing with us. If we're asking them to do that with the Bible, we ought to do that as well and be fair and approach them as people, not as ideologies. Welcome back to Just Thinking. What was Abdu Murray talking about in the intro? Let's find out as we air the final questions and answers from the Understanding and Answering Post-Truth Culture Conference that was held at Woodside Bible Church in Michigan earlier this year. Let's join them now. Hi, my name is Diane, and my question is for Abdu because it is directly related to Islam. And um, I come from a church where we had an Arabic-speaking church within our church that was founded from pastors that were fleeing Iraq under persecution for having accepted Christ. So I come across quite a few uh, Muslims throughout just my day, and um, not all of them are Muslim. Some are converted, but... Um, I know that uh, in Islam they teach taqiyah. Is that how it's pronounced? Taqiyah, yeah. Taqiyah. And um, that the Quran speaks over and over again about, you know, killing the infidel or the kuffar. Um, So my question is, number one, um, is this true? Because I heard a saying about that the radical Muslim wants to behead you, but the moderate Muslim wants the radical Muslim to behead you. So just how... So, uh, you know, how embedded is, uh, is that thinking in Islam and what should we be fearing from that? But how, more importantly, can we reach them for Christ? What, yeah. What's the key? Well, I, I appreciate you asking the question. There's actually a lot in there. You I know, threw out, I'm sorry. Threw out, it's okay. We threw out taqiyya, you threw out all these other things. Um, 
let me answer it in a sort of a more of a blanket general way, if I could, just for a moment, because um, you're raising up important issues. We have to wrestle with these issues, and we can't put our heads in the sand about the various things that we have to deal with, uh, whether it, it's, it's um, a, a very large population of people who live in this area, uh, or the globally. You have, depending on who you ask, there's either one billion, one and a half billion, or two billion Muslims in the world, so it's kind of a amorphous number. But it's also hard to, it's hard to measure, because you don't walk around with a sign on your back. This is what you are. Um, let me answer this as sensitively as I possibly can, because yes, there are troubling passages in the Quran, and different Muslims attack it in different ways. They approach the issue in different ways. Some will say it's highly contextualized. It's for those people at that time for that purpose. Others will say no, there's no indication whatsoever that the harsh passages in the Quran are for a limited people at a limited time, and they'd say this applies at all times. So you get radicals on this side, and you get people who are moderate or pacifists on this side. Uh, I will say this, let me just uh, encourage you on something. Okay, is that um, there is a growing population of people who are speaking out against Islam, uh, sorry, against violence from within the Islamic community. And thank God for that, because let's assume for a moment the Bible, the, the Quran is, teaches violence. Let's assume that for a moment. Would you want them to act consistently with the, with the Quran? Of course not. But there are those who say it doesn't teach that. So I often, what I often do is try to encourage folks to say, Let's go to a, a source where there's really, there's controversy in the Bible too, whether the Canaanite slaughters are incumbent upon that kind of mentality on us today. I think those are highly specific when you look at the, the way in which the commands were for certain people at certain times in certain ways. But Jesus is the ultimate paradigm, right? So the first part, one part, one part of your question was, what should we fear from that? And I, I appreciate what you're saying there. You're basically thinking, how should we wisely address it as opposed to cower in the corner in fear? Because you're not supposed to cower in the corner in fear. You're just not supposed to. Don't. Right. Do not. Um, because that fear will lead to suspicion, and it will lead to a cynicism, and it will lead to a hatred that you didn't even want in the first place. Um, so C.S. Lewis had put it this way. So this is two C.S. The quote is now completely fulfilled. Here's uh, um, a statement. He says, um, <clears throat> supposing you hear of some atrocity committed by those you don't like, and then supposing a week later you find out that it wasn't quite as bad as you were first led to believe, what is your reaction? Are you thankful? Thank God not even they are as bad as that. Or are you disappointed? wishing that your enemies were worse than you even thought. It says, if your reaction is a second one, you will soon find that you will see gray as, uh, white as gray, gray as black, and soon your own heart will follow, essentially. I'm paraphrasing him. So oftentimes we want to see them as bad as possible, and that they're all that way. And I appreciate your question because you're saying, how do we subtly see that they're not all that way? Right. Just like we see people who use the Bible to promote slavery, racism, or other things aren't indicative of everybody else or even the message itself. So I do think we have to wrestle with these tough issues within the Quran and ask our Muslim friends. I mean, one of the best ways you can do this, by the way, is to read it yourself, find those passages, and go to a Muslim who you admire, who you respect, and say, I just read this. Can you help me with this? I'm trying to figure out what this all means, because you can see at first blush in, in, in English, it's pretty troubling. Can you help me? Now, what you might find out is they have no idea it even says that. Because, by the way, Islam is not this monolithic thing where you have this devotion of faith across all of them. There are, do you know Christians who claim to be Christians who haven't ever read the Bible in a year? <laughs> well, there's Muslims who exactly the same way. People are people, they really are. 
Um, so when you bring these up to them, you can have an, an engaging encounter by saying, I read something that troubles me, but I see your life, I see your actions, I see you're a peace-loving person, I see you're an inclusive person, and so I'm having a hard time reconciling this with this, but I want you to help me. Don't proclaim, I know you must be like this deep down inside and you're secretly hating me. You know, I know a lot of Muslims and I don't know one of them, not a one who sits behind the stairwell twisting his mustaches thinking of the way to blow the place up. I don't know any of them like that. Now, I guess I wouldn't, they wouldn't tell me, I suppose, that they were, but, um, but I don't know any like that. I really, but I really don't know them. But I know their lives. And they're not like that. Are there those out there? Yeah. They make headlines all the time. But are the majority of them like that? No. So I would engage, uh, find out what the Quran says for yourself. See, let me just end it with an, with, with an illustration of something that happened to me. I'll use an atheist as an example. Um, I was at a conference and I was engaging, I, I did a, uh, it was a youth conference, an apologetics conference. There was a young man who was in the audience, young, very bright guy going to NYU, studying philosophy the next, the next year he's gonna go there. He's gonna graduate from high school and go to NYU. Um, and he was an atheist and he was giving everybody a hard time. So he starts talking to me. We're talking for two hours. And his, one of his claims was, if I had God's resources, if I had all his unlimited knowledge and unlimited resources, I would have done things way differently. God botched everything. I'm like, well, give me an example. This is his example now. This is his example. He says, God kills 20,000 people just for looking at the ark. So I'm like, where? I read the Bible a couple of times, and I don't remember seeing that in there. I do remember seeing it in the end of Jones where the Nazis all died for looking at the ark. Do you remember that end of any scene? So, and I'm not trying to make fun of him. I said, I don't see it in the Bible. He says, well, well, God, well, God kills that one guy for touching it. I'm like, oh, that's, that's in there. That's true. He's like, that's unfair. I'm like, well, God said, you are to carry the ark this way in a specific way. Don't put it on a cart where animals uh, will pull it. It's, it's holy. Don't do that. And they did it anyway. And then when it falls into the mud, the guy thinks he has the ability to hold it up himself and has a self-pride, I'm going to hold it up. And God strikes him dead for his rebellion. Now, the guy had warning and didn't do it anyway. What's unfair about this exactly? He says, what's unfair about it, I'm, I'm not even kidding you, he said this. What's unfair about it is God wouldn't let that guy touch the ark when he let Noah's whole family live on it. <laughs> now, what do you do at this moment? This, this, this is important. This is, this is important. Here we are, me and him, a crowd at this conference of 40 people are now gathered. Now, I didn't try to embarrass him. He did it all by himself. What do you do? What do you do? You put your hand on the shoulder and you lean in. You say, hey buddy, I want you to know something. There are two arcs, one's a box, one's a boat. Now, what I want to tell you is this, is that every Christian here just heard you say that. Now, I'm not trying to embarrass you. What I want to suggest to you is, before you criticize a book, maybe you should read it. And if you read it and don't read about it from atheists, read the atheist about it, fine. Read the Christians about it, but read the actual thing. Maybe you'll come to a better understanding of this. You know, he liked it. First of all, I didn't humiliate him in front of everybody and perpetuate what's going on. We had a great conversation afterwards. He drove back to the conference to get a copy of my book. Um, I think we do that with Islam sometimes. We read about it from Christians or other people 
who criticize it and then think that applies and don't actually go to Muslims or the Quran itself to find out what it says. Now, I don't agree with it, but it might be the kind of thing that we should actually show credibility in. If we're asking them to do that with the Bible, we ought to do that as well and be fair and approach them as people, not as ideologies. Muslims are not ideologies. They're human beings made in God's image for whom Christ died. And I think that's the way we take the fear out of it and the love injected into it. So I appreciate your question. And I think if we talk to them personally, we'll see tremendous, tremendous progress. Thanks so much for your question. That concludes this Q&A series, but you can listen again by going to our website and clicking on the Listen tab. While you're there, be sure to check out other podcasts, such as Ask Away or The Defense Rests, a brand new podcast from Abdu Murray. That web address is rzim.org or rzim.ca for those in Canada. To order the Q&A series heard on today's program, call us at one 800 and ask for the Understanding and Answering Post-Truth Culture Q&A. Just Thinking and other digital content by RZIM is entirely donor-supported. But we aren't able to continue this work without your support. We hope you'll continue to lift our team up in prayer. And if you'd like to support our ministry financially, call us at 1-800-448-6766 or visit our website. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for live updates, photos, articles, and more great content from the RZIM team. Just search for RZIM on social media.